I'm going to pray, and this is going to kind of be an introduction to First Corinth—I mean, Second Corinthians, which we'll be starting, uh, and then we're going to have a little discussion. I, it might take a different turn near the end, but Lord, we do thank you for your word. You know what you want to say to us tonight, and uh, thank you for your servant Paul, Lord, and writing through him to convey your heart and using him as an example for us to learn from God. So I pray we would learn and take up the things you desire for us to take up from this teaching, Lord. Just lead and direct me, Lord. I need the Holy Spirit. Um, We don't need the thoughts of man, Lord. So I just humble myself before you. I yield my vessel to you, Lord. I ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide tonight. And even our discussions, Lord, you know what you want to produce in this place tonight and in our hearts. And I'm trusting you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to just give a little introduction. But as I was studying today, I kept, the Lord kept bringing me somewhere else. I almost wasn't going to do the Second Corinthians tonight, but I, I'll do it. Um, but again, I, I just had this unsettling inside that there's something more God wants to say to us. Um, but we'll trust that He's going to use this, okay? So we went through First Corinthians this is months ago now, right? I forget when we ended that. Um, we skipped this and we went to James and now we're coming back to Second Corinthians. But you know, Paul took about a year before he wrote this second letter to the Corinthians. And, and really to understand this epistle, we do need to think about the first one and what Paul's design was for the first one. The first one was basically an open rebuke, uh, instruction, answering questions, concerns that they were sending him, mostly from the house of Chloe. I think that's how you say it. Um, And Paul just kind of helping this church that, in many ways, God was moving powerfully um, as far as the Holy Spirit, but there was just a lot of stuff and confusion and disorder. and, And Paul basically was just writing to really deal with a lot of different issues that were going on. And so it was really mostly uh, a language of reproof and correction. And so just think about it. You know, they didn't have cell phones. He didn't have contact with them for a while. And, you know, as a a father, as a, a, a spiritual father to them, that's hard. I know for me as a pastor, I don't like confronting people. I don't enjoy having to speak truth and love or or correct someone, but yet if I love you, and obviously God loves us, He disciplines His children. And that's what Paul was doing. But it still doesn't make it easy. It still is hard in many ways. So I'm sure he was concerned, and I'm sure praying and believing that they would respond, because there's no greater joy for a minister than to see people respond rather than get bitter or angry and turn away because we know, like, they're only hurting themselves. It's, 
you don't take it personal. It's like you want God's best, just like God wants the best for you. But when we turn away in anger, or we don't receive His corrections, really we're just hurting ourselves. So Paul, in a sense, writing this second letter, is happy because he's getting reports that they're responding. There's still people there that are not right, that didn't respond, but yet there are those that have responded. So there's a mixture of things going on there. And like I said, it was probably written about a year after. So he begins his salutation here in 2 Corinthians 1, introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And that caught my attention. I mean, he uses that in other places, but there's other places where he says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ. But I think with this letter, especially with the people that are still there, still following these false teachers, he's kind of letting them know something like, hey, I am uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I didn't come into my calling or my office by man's decisions. It was actually the will of God that called me to my position. And this is the position I'm writing to you in. And that's important. And as men, as ministers, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a disciple maker, God's got a calling on your life. And you have to know that God has called you to that. And, and because He's called you to it, there's an authority. Not in yourself, but there's an authority that comes from God. Now, if we're putting ourselves in a position by ourselves, and it's not God doing it, well then, that authority is not going to be there. Not the right kind, anyway. And so that's why it's important to know our calling. To know what God has called. That it's the will of God that I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's kind of humbling, but it also brings a confidence that I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to, what I've been called to do. And he's kind of letting them know that in the, in the beginning. Commission. Remember, he was commissioned by Jesus. Remember when he was knocked off his horse and he's basically told through the prophet, through, uh, what's his name? Uh, no, uh, Ananias, that I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for the gospel's sake. And he was called specifically to the Gentile world who he's writing to. Commissioned by Jesus, according to the will of God, to preach the, the gospel to the Gentiles. So that's important. Um, and then he's writing to the church in Corinth, but also it says the saints in Achaia, which is basically that whole surrounding region. So obviously there's either smaller churches or saints scattered around. So it's not just the church in Corinth. He's writing to the surrounding areas as well where there are saints. So he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. And when I was thinking about that and what a saint means, and do we know what that means? You've heard it a few times. What does the word saint mean? 
Huh? Called out ones. In other words, separated for God. Called out ones. Separated for God. Consecrated to God. But who were these people? Who are they? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us who they were. And it says this about them. This will give us a little comfort. In verse, six, uh, verse 9, it says, Paul is telling them, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. <laughs> so that's what they were. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our Lord. You know, they were in a pagan culture where they worshipped this goddess that was all about sexual perversion. I mean, they were, came out of a perverted lifestyle. Not much different than us. I, I couldn't help but think of you know, all of us and a lot of our backgrounds and how we could relate to that. And I want to read it in a different translation um, just because it says it different, different kinds of words describing them. So, those who go after the desires of the flesh. I like that. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay. Or worship to images or is untrue when married. Um, less than a man. It's going about effeminate. You know, acting like a woman or makes the wrong use of men, exchanging the natural for the unnatural, a thief, or the worst for drink, or, or the use of strong language, or takes by force what is not his. Anybody relate to any of those things? Well, that's who these people were. But they were washed, they were sanctified, they were set apart for God. No different than us. And I'm saying that for a reason. And this is going to tie into what I'm going to say later. you got to get over, we got to get over our past life. You understand what he says? Such were some of you. And, and I think a lot of the times, whether it's the devil or our own thinking, or we just not understand what God actually has done for us, we're still living in our old identity, and so it's hindering what God wants to do in our life now. We're still seeing ourselves the way we were. And if we've truly come into the gospel, if God has truly washed us and cleansed us and we have repented, that's what we were. I always think about the, the 12-step programs where you go in and you, know, you have to say every time in the meeting, hi, my name's Jeff. I'm a recovering drug addict. And I don't have to say that. Praise the Lord. That's not who I am anymore. God, the truth of God, set me free over 30 years ago. That's not who I am anymore. I'm not a recovering drug addict. I'm a son and child of God that's been set free by the power of God. That's not who I was. That was another person. Such were some of you. 
that has to get into us. So, you know, he's writing to these kinds of people. And so, really, what I'm sharing with you today is he's really just giving a salutation, you know, a kind of opening greeting to them. That's really all we're going to look at tonight. Um, so he says, grace to you. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that wasn't a flippant thing. They knew what that meant. Paul knew what he meant. What he was wishing for them when he says, grace to you, peace to you. In other words, God's favor on your life so that you can prosper in spiritual things, so that you can grow because God is with you. His favor is upon your life. Grace to you and peace, which is the culmination of God's grace working in your life. It's coming into the rest, the promised rest. It's coming into uh, all the blessings, all the, the things that come with our inheritance that make us whole in Christ and in God, that make us a perfect and complete man. Grace and peace to you. And we, we hear this in the Scriptures, this same word. It, it, it was said of Jesus. In Luke 2, verse 40, when it says the child grew, talking about Jesus, and the grace of God, the favor of God, was on Jesus. The grace of the Father. And it says, goes on, um, it says he increased in favor and grace with God and with man. And then in Acts 2, we see the people of God having favor and grace with all the people. We see in Acts 4.33 that great grace, great favor, God's favor was upon them. And God was moving powerfully through them. Because they were all in one accord. There was peace. Peace is the absence of war. There was unity in God. They were in one spirit. They had been purchased by God. They understood what it meant. They were together like an army, like a unit. And because they were, God's favor was on them. And they were moving mountains and, and souls were coming into the kingdom. They weren't living in their old past lives. They weren't living in their old identity. They were walking in the new man created according to righteousness. They were walking as sons of God. They were walking as saints. They were walking in unity. They, they were walking um, in prayer together, in fellowship, and God's favor was upon them. This is what Paul is saying to them. The same thing. So that that church, that those people living in the midst of this pagan culture where it's still kind of like what we're seeing now in our land, he's saying, God's grace, God's peace be on you, God's favor, so that you could be the light and the people of God that He's called you to be. So His favor is on you, so you can grow up into a body that is effective and moving mountains, just like the early church did. So there's a lot in there that Paul understands. It's not just a nice, hello, grace and peace to you. He knows what he means 
when he says that. And I want to say that to you tonight. Grace and peace for you, for this body. May the grace and the peace of God be upon us. God's favor. Grace is the favor of God that comes through Jesus Christ. And peace is His effect. Grace and peace with all the blessings of this life and future come from the Father and the Son. Everything comes from them. That's why we need to constantly, expectantly be looking to the Father and to the Son. For grace. For blessings. Spiritual blessings in every place that we need it. And then he just gives thanks in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. That was, that was in my heart during worship. I couldn't help it. That's why I was so caught up because I was just studying that for hours today. Just meditating on God's grace and God's favor and just the reality of what He's done in my life. What He's doing in you. What He's doing in His body. And it's like, blessed be God the Father. Yes, Lord, thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now, Paul says that out of testimony, but he's also, we're going to see, trying to help them with what they're going to be facing. Because he, he wants them to know the reality of this statement. The Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Blessed be God. Again, that's the language of someone's heart that is full of joy. That is full of gratitude for my Heavenly Father, for Jesus, for the mercy He's done in my life, for the comfort I have um, gotten from Him in my times of suffering, in my times of denying myself and picking up my cross. He was there for me. He was with me in the fire. He was supporting me. He was upholding me. His grace was sufficient. I might have gotten knocked down, but I got up. Paul's going to talk about that in a little bit. You know, when he says the Father of mercies, it, what he, he knows and means there is that he is the source. He's the only source of mercies and what we need. In James 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Your Father, my Father, everything comes from Him. Every good gift. Romans 12.1 Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the Father, because of what He's done, what He is to us, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And then, like I said, He's the God of all comfort. He is the one who imparts the only true, perfect comfort in every situation. 
Psalm 146 speaks of this. It says, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, O my soul! Again, that's where that was coming from tonight. Because, you know, sometimes you can feel the heaviness in here. Sometimes I come in heavy, and that's when we need to praise the Lord. There's something about praising the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord while I have my being. Don't put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bound down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. By the way of the wicked, He turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, people of God, your God to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then in James 5.11, it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Very compassionate. He's the God of all comfort. God is the only comforter of His people at all times. You will not find the comfort that God can give in anything else. And that word comfort, it means more than what we think of in our minds. Um, it's strength. It's, it's the sense that He's just there with you. Um, it's, it's His grace just holding you up when you spiritually feel like you can't stand. It's the nearness, His presence, that somehow brings joy even in the midst of suffering. And I've heard stories like that of persecuted Christians in prisons. I mean, I've heard stories of people locked in a box, which for me is just, I can't even... But yet, somehow God was in there with them, and it made it bearable. The God of all comfort. His presence was there. was known. Blessed be God who comforts us in all of our tribulations. Verse 4. Why does He do that? I mean, He understands we need it, but there's a greater purpose in it. He does it that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So think about where God's taken us from, and think about all the people that we come in contact with that are still in bondage, that are still blind, that don't know the comfort of God, that are hopeless, that are maybe suicidal. 
We should know. We should have least have tasted and known what that comfort is like. What it's like for God to step in to our darkness, to our pain, to our bondage. To know there's a God that, that when I choose to follow Him, and when I choose to suffer with Him, when I forsake my life in this world, there's somehow a joy to it. Because He's there with me. There's somehow a joy living in the will of God. People need to know that because that's what we were created for. Kind of like what I talked about Sunday. For a greater relationship. A greater love. Well, this is how we come into that. And then it's how we share it with others. We experience what we experience for ourselves so that we can share it with others. I always thought about Hebrews 4 when I read this, where we're encouraged to come to the throne of grace. Why? So we can get mercy and grace in our time of need. So that as we experience that mercy and grace, we can now share that with other people that don't know about a throne of grace, that don't even know they could have access to that throne of grace. So Paul is writing to these Corinthians because he's trying to help them. Paul knows what this is like. Paul has experienced it. um, And he's going to give an account of it. I think it's in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, 4. Um, He's going to allude to that in the next few verses here. And he's sharing it with them to help them as they choose to suffer with Christ. Because they're going to need to know this. That, that hey, this isn't going to be easy what God is calling you to do. It's about suffering. It's about denying yourself. It's about forsaking your lives. People are going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. You might get thrown in prison. You might feel discouraged at times. You might be at a loss sometimes, not understanding. Why is this happening? I'm just trying to serve God. But you need to know the God of comfort and grace and mercy will have what you need in that moment. And that's what Paul is trying to convey to them. And he goes on, he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, or really our comfort, also abounds through Christ. Abounds means abounds. It means not a little. It means a lot. It means overflowing more than. That's what God is like. He doesn't give us just enough. He gives us more than. More than enough. Colossians 1, 24 Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Again, God called me to do this. This is his will for my life. Which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. 
The mystery which has been hidden from the ages, from all generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And it's basically giving the gospel to the Gentiles. The mystery. It's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. So Paul understood Jesus was the consolation. He was the comfort. The Father was the comfort. In all of his sufferings, in all the things he had to go through for the Gospel. And then in in 1 Peter 4, there's an exhortation to us. 1 Peter 4, verses 1-3. through Therefore, since Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, there's a lot in that sentence. Are you still sinning? You need to learn to suffer for Christ. And you'll stop sinning. You still bound by sin? It's because you're not choosing to suffer with Christ. Arm yourselves with the same mind. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It's speaking of self-crucifixion. It's speaking of crucifying the flesh. Entering in to the fellowship of His sufferings. That He should no longer... I mean, you think about it. The Corinthians, right? What they were. What we were. This is what this is saying. That you should live no longer the rest of His time in the flesh for the lust of men like we used to live but for the will of God. We've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelry, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. I remember sharing my testimony at a church somewhere and this young kid coming up to me Man, what a testimony. I wish I had a testimony like that. I said, no, you don't. You don't want to know the things I know. You need to thank God that you have not experienced what I have experienced. You need to thank God that he was like 14, that you don't have to give over to sin the way I did. And I said, you know what a better testimony is? That you didn't go into the life that way. That God saved you at 14. And and from that point on, you served Him with all your heart. And you didn't experience what I experienced. That's a better testimony. Because I spent enough of my time wasting my life on riotous living and just sinful living. Living for the desires of the flesh. Enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Then down further in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is about to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. Because if you are reproached, For Christ's sake, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory rests upon you. 
And this is what I'm going to ask you guys a question later. And the question is going to be, what do you mostly suffer for? What do you mostly suffer for? Is it for the will of God or is it because of your bad choices? Where does most of your suffering come from? Because listen to what this says. Blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their parties blasphemy, but on your parties glorify. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be in shame, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will the end be of those who do not obey the gospel? And then in 2 Corinthians 4, later on, which we'll get to eventually, Paul talks about his own suffering. But it's the kind that is the right kind of suffering. He says, I'm always carrying about in my body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death's working in us, but life is in you. Paul saw it a privilege to lose his life, to to just forsake his life in this world, to die to his own will, the same mind that Christ had so that others could have life. There's, there's a, a joy in that that we don't understand until we enter into it. Because that's where you experience the comfort. That's where you experience the grace. The Father of all mercies. That's where you sense His nearness when you're walking with Him in that way. Because now you're abiding in His love. You're doing the things He does. You're thinking as He does. You're letting His heart become your heart. Which is not thinking of myself. Which What's the mind of Christ, right? It's not holding on to what I think I deserve, or I, my position, or it lets it go. It, it humbles itself. It becomes a servant, even to the, the, the point of death, even the death of a cross. How many of our brothers and sisters who are innocent, they're just sharing the gospel, yet they're suffering, they're dying for the sake of Christ. But yet I envy them somehow. Because when you meet them, you realize they know a comfort. They know something of God that we lack sometimes. A joy that you see in them that it, it surpasses all understanding. It's like, why this per- look at their conditions. They shouldn't be this joyful, but yet they are because the grace of God is upon them. See, we try to make ourselves happy. We try to make our joy happen, and that's why we're miserable. Because <laughs> we're not, we're, we're fighting against God when we do that, instead of surrendering to His will and His purpose in our lives. So he goes on in verse 6, Now if we are afflicted, 
It's for your comfort. It's for your salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we all also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, he just keeps saying over and over, listen, everything we go through is for you. It's for your comfort. It's for your salvation. Everything we do, everything we go through, it's all for you. If we're afflicted, these words concern suffering as a reference. Again, he's talking about what he's going to talk about in a little bit here, but also in 2 Corinthians 4, what he suffered in Ephesus and in Asia. So he's, had, he's talking about experience, what has actually happened. It's what he's talking about. And then he goes on, our hope is for you is steadfast because we know so he's encouraging. We know as you are partakers of the suffering, so you will also partake in the consolation and the comfort. He's trying to encourage them. He's almost speaking like they're going to do it. You know, a father believing in his children, his spiritual children. I want to believe that for you. As you guys, as you give yourselves, as you pick up your cross, may God... Become you the God of all comfort, the God of all mercies. May you experience that comfort so that you could share it with other people. As you embrace the sufferings in Christ, you will know his comfort personally. And then he says in verse 8, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble. And now he's sharing about their own situations, which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we even despaired even of life. So this isn't a light thing here. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's a powerful statement. You understand he's already resigned himself to die for Christ. But yet, he has faith in God that even in this situation, if God wills it, he can raise him up. Just like he raised Jesus from the dead. Resigned to die, but yet knows God can do the miraculous. Whatever he wants to do. Just like he rose Jesus from the dead. Yes. Um... Who delivered us from great, so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Again, that only comes through experience. That only comes as we go through those trials, as we embrace our own sufferings and we learn about God's faithfulness. We learn of his comfort. We learn his grace is sufficient. Man, I could tell you story after story after story where I was knocked down and I just thought I'm not going to make it and, and I would just cry out to God I would quote, quote back his promises and he would meet me and strengthen me and, and, and the next day or uh, just the reality of, of what he did I understood was a miracle I knew it was God and, and it helped me the next time. 
and the next time, and the next time, and the next time. And, and I'll just tell you, when I get in situations, it, I, I feel like David said, I remember the bear, I remember the lion. This situation is no different. Do I waver sometimes? Of course. <laughs> do I struggle? Still, of course I do. But yet, because I've known His comfort, I've known His grace and mercy, there's something in there that I can draw from. And it gets me through. And, and it gets me past the doubting and past, you know, just seeing what's happening and begin to express that faith. And we see David do that. He gets real with God. You know, he, I'm struggling, God, I, whatever. But then he recounts, he remembers, and then he speaks faith. And that's really what we need to do. And that comes out of testimony. We trust he will still deliver us. You also, and now he kind of throws in a thanks to them. You also helping together in prayer for us. In other words, you know what? And your prayers were a big part of what God did to help us use. He's thanking them. That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through the many. So I'm going to stop there on the introduction because it's going to kind of start getting into something a little different here. So that's just kind of a little introduction into the book. He's just kind of giving a greeting. He's just kind of preparing the way uh, to start sharing the things that are on his heart for this church that he had rebuked about a year earlier that now he's still going to deal with some things. Uh, but it's a different kind of letter than the first one. Um, so I'm going to end there. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time with the questions. Um, I, I really want to talk about something a little different. Uh, so, Lord, uh, for those listening, um, Lord, I just thank you and pray that um, you will um, encourage them, as Paul is encouraging this church, Lord, um, not to refrain, not to to uh, recoil at the thought of suffering for the sake of the gospel, Lord, but knowing that as we choose to suffer with you, you truly are the Father of mercies, the Father of all comfort, Lord. And it's not just so we get something out of it. It really is, Lord, for others. And Lord, I pray as uh, we begin this book, um, you would do a work in all of our hearts, we would learn the things you wanted to learn. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his testimony. God, thank you for speaking through him, Lord. And I just pray, God, that this book would richly bless all um, of the hearers that will be able to be with us during this time. So we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.